hear the word prophetic history, somebody to ask, tell me what they think of. It's the history. It's the history. The history yeah. of the prophetic. I was going to say that, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> when you hear that, because sometimes that those two words together are often used in, you don't always hear that common language in all in church. Like, you're probably not going to go to church tomorrow morning and the pastor's going to go, let me tell you the prophetic history. Okay, That's not going to happen in many places. But it does happen in houses of prayer and other ministries. So what do you think that means, prophetic history? How the Holy Spirit tricks you into getting into something bigger than yourself. How the Holy Spirit tricks you into getting into something bigger than yourself. That's pretty good. It's good. Um, yeah, yes. Okay. That's pretty good, Amy. I like that. Well, let me just take a little stab at here as well. Um, I mean, I'm looking at some notes here that are kind of small here on my phone. <laughs> I like Amy's definition. I like to think of it this way. Prophetic history is God's spirit moving in a human being's life as he reveals himself to you. Okay? Or tricks you. God doesn't trick us. Not negating what you said, but I know what you mean. <laughs> but you have a prophetic history. God's spirit moving in your life while he's revealing himself to you through the wow. scriptures. So prophetic script, prophetic history is not apart from the word of God. Okay? But it is his activity in your life as he leads you and as you talk to him about what's going on in your life. So what I like to say when we do this section is how did you and I end up in this room together? How did we get here? I didn't know you a year ago. Some of you I didn't know six months ago. But here we are in this little tiny room on a Saturday morning talking about prayer and getting to know Jesus. And Lord, how can we know you for the next 30 years and keep steady with you through the ups and downs of our lives, you know, through different things that happen in our life? And so that's what I'd like to start this little segment with how did we end up here in other words there's a history that god's been watching throughout history his history he's been watching this picture and he goes jim stillwell in it you in it you in it and all of us have a prophetic history that's why all of you should keep a journal in your life that's your prophetic history in god as you write things down as he shows you things from the word so let me give you a big picture about what we talk about why we're in this room. Okay? The Bible tells us that there is coming a massive prayer movement that's going to cover the earth. A prayer and worship movement. In Isaiah 61, let me read this to you. Isaiah 61, verse 11. For as the earth brings forth its bud, and as the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, that's called salvation, people getting saved. So the Lord will cause righteousness, that means the way that we live our lives in front of him and in front of others, righteousness, it's not done apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives, and praise. To spring forth before all the nations. 
speaks of a worship movement that's happening in the earth. That's to come. This has not happened yet. And then when you go to the next chapter, Isaiah 62, God begins to talk about setting watchmen on the wall night and day in the place of prayer for Israel. And in order for that to happen in Israel, he's doing it in every city of the earth. It's all connected. Okay? So there's a big picture, prophetic history, of what God's doing in the earth. And we're a part of it right now. You were just a part of it as you were doing the harp and bowl model. Okay? And these are happening all over the earth. All types of sizes. Smaller groups than this are together weekly doing what you just did. In different states and in, in America and different nations around the world. In Luke 18, in the New Testament, Jesus said that when night and day prayer is happening in the earth, he will show justice. Justice is a hot topic right now. There's people that don't even know Jesus that are talking about justice, social justice, justice this, justice that. It's a lot of talk until you bring Jesus into the, the word called justice and the way he wants to bring justice. And he said he's going to do it through prayer. He's going to release justice in the earth, yes, as people go out and do works of justice, but it's going to be connected to prayer. Luke 18, 7 and 8, he says, when night and day prayer is happening, then I will avenge, or another word for avenge is the word justice. So the justice that so many people are longing to see in the earth, you guys, some of your friends at school that are riding the social justice train, if I could say it that way, apart from Jesus Christ and him, and him being king, they will not see justice until it's connected to the worship and prayer movement. I love what Amy Ligon's been doing for a few years. She's out of this prayer room, been going to the nations, and now she's connected with the YWAM base, but it's all connected to not just going and doing the works of the kingdom, it's going and planting houses of prayer in those nations you see what the Lord's doing and she'll talk about this more in one of the sessions here in the next couple of days it's the bringing together worship and prayer combined with the justice of God's kingdom in the earth but it's not connected only in a person going and just preaching the gospel message it's connected to night and day prayer the two are converging right now and we're in the beginning stages of that and we've had that expression out of this house of prayer for 10 years now, which I'm so grateful for. So what we're doing here in our prophetic history is whenever you think of prophetic history in your own life, let's say you're praying about a decision in your own life, okay, in the next couple of years or this year, you're asking God questions. Lord, do you want me to go to college? Lord, do you want me to be in this relationship? Lord, do you want this or that, and you're praying about things, and you're journaling it, you always start with the Word of God first. Always start with the Bible. God might give you a dream that accompanies the Bible verse. He might have somebody pray for you, that they pray a prophetic prayer over you, that will confirm what he's been talking to you about. But he's always going to come from the, from the foundation of his Word. But then we can never just pin God in on that alone because he says, I am spirit also. And I have all this ability to speak to you through different ways, through the activity of the Holy Spirit. 
me confirm, let me just say how that works. Several months ago, I was praying about a building up in Sacramento, and I was, we had no evidence of us getting a building. I had a few promises, and I had a lot of agitation. I was very frustrated with the Lord because I thought, Lord, you're going to do this. And, and Zach alluded to it today. We would have prayer meetings, or sometimes just Leslie and I in, my, in our living room. Nobody would show up on a Tuesday night. We'd just do it anyway. But we had a lot of promise. About eight months ago, six, eight months ago, I had this I had this thing happen where God led me to this building, and I thought we were going to get this one building in the city. And I thought it was going to really happen, and the Lord started talking to me about it. I was talking to him about it, and he would give me a couple just encouraging things that I write down. And I went to bed that night, and I remember sleeping. Ever been, have you ever felt anxious when you sleep? Yeah. yeah. I think we all do. We have times where just all night long we're just anxious. Some people don't have that, but occasionally I do. And I think we go to bed with things on our mind. And I certainly had this on my mind. I'm like, Lord, I want that building. I want that building for the house of prayer, for the house of prayer. How can we get that building? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know I'm just driving myself nuts. <laughs> and so I go to bed kind of anxious, and I, and I have this dream. I have a dream. Holy Spirit activity. That I was taking a test. Some of you heard this before. I'm going to say it again. I'm ta I was taking a test, which we all can relate to in school. And I can remember sitting down at the desk, and the teacher was there, and she has a felt board in front of me. And she's got these, she's got, there's 10 questions, and I'm in the dream going, test, I hate tests, right? <laughs> and the person's holding the felt board, and she's got these different figures on the felt board, like raccoon, moon, banana, apple, okay? And I'm thinking, what kind of test am I getting ready to take, you know? <laughs> And she asked me the first question. And I don't know who the teacher was. And they go, question number one. And I go, and they asked me the question. I don't know what the question was. All I remember doing in the dream going, no, I don't know the answer. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. I have ten questions. And I don't know this first answer. And all there is is raccoon, apple, banana, watermelon, you know, moon. And that's, I had to match the figure with the answer, right? I go, I don't know. And the teacher goes, yes, you do. Go, I don't know. She was just you. It's number one. Number one goes with raccoon. And I go, okay. Raccoon. <laughs> right? But it's a dream, right? So it's not super vivid, but I know that that's how the whole dream's going. And then she goes, number two. And I go, she asked me the question. I go, no. Like, no, I don't have the answer. This is not going to work. She goes, you know it. It's banana. Slide banana over to number two. And she goes, correct. The next thing in the dream, all I know is at the end of the at the end of the ten questions, she goes, "You passed," <laughs> and I said, "I passed," wow. and she said, "Yes." She said, "All of you passed the test." So go through that door right there, and now you're going to go learn all the information that was on the test you just took. So well, that's a funny way to take a test. <laughs> so I woke up in the morning and I had this dream on my mind and I wake up and I tell my wife Leslie, I go, honey you will not believe the dream that I just had and I told her the dream and then I looked at my Bible app on my phone that day and the Bible verse was Job 23 verse 10, here's what that says but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me, I shall come forth 
as gold. And I went, oh my gosh, I had a dream and a Bible verse to go along with what you're currently doing in my life. Meaning, as I walk away from that, he, he was saying, I've tested you, you've come forth as gold, you're right on track, just watch what I do. Little did I know, five months later, we'd be getting into our own little building to begin the house of prayer. A totally different building that I had no understanding about. But what was he doing? He, his, his whole, his, the Holy Spirit was active in my life through a dream, confirming it through a word, and that is part of prophetic history. And all of us have that in our life, and we need to pay attention to it, okay? Because it's part of the story he's writing. Now, about this place, how we all got here, as I was talking about, is the word is central to everything. But there were a few things that happened that linked us all together, that linked me with Amy and Dan Knight and a few others, Pastor David Kim, and then everybody else that was a part of this. So when I'm saying this today, I think it's important for us to know when we hear people share about the history of something that God's doing, prophetic history, that everybody has a part in it. Like when I tell the story, everybody goes, me too, right? You all go, God was saying that to me, maybe a little differently. I'm like, I'm not surprised because that's what he does. He doesn't just tell one person. He lets a lot of people know what he's doing because he's father. He was like, we're all doing this. It just comes in different ways at different times. And then he asks different ones to step out and begin the process, okay? So with us here, there's kind of a history that happened about this house of prayer thing. So for me, I knew very early on the Lord began to confirm some things about being a part of a house of prayer. Because I used to pastor a church. I was a pastor of a church until I stopped doing that and started the house of prayer. But I can remember going back to what Zach was talking a little bit today about just knowing that the Lord is really enjoying us while we're in the process. You remember Zach was telling the story how he wanted to get up in the morning and pray, but he couldn't just, he just kept hitting the alarm and going back to sleep. The Lord enjoyed him just as much when he went back to sleep as if he got up in the morning and talked to him. That's really true to you. The Lord's not going to enjoy you more when you spend four hours in prayer or if you spend five minutes in prayer. That's very foundational. He's not going to enjoy you more because you win five people to Jesus versus two people to Jesus. Okay? Once we know that he enjoys us, we go, wow, I want to get to know you more. Because he's totally different than we are. We enjoy each other based upon what we do for each other. The Lord's not like that at all. He just enjoys us. Okay. So early on, I can remember I had this, I had another activity of the Holy Spirit. I had a, I had a person come up to me. <clears throat> this is when I was like 19 years old, early years of walking the Lord. He goes, hey, I was talking to the Lord about you, and I had a dream about you. <clears throat> and he said to me, Jim is my gem, G-E-M. Oh. Yeah. He says, Jim is my gem, and he belongs to me. I was 19 years old in my life. At that time, I was 19 years old, struggling to serve Jesus, just beginning to serve the Lord. But the Lord used that phrase to really settle me and to give me confidence before him that I belong to Jesus. Struggling, I was struggling with sin. I was not overcoming sin very well, wanted to, but the Lord wanted me to have that truth that I belong to him. In other words, he 
had me in the midst of struggle. Okay, What is that? That is the foundational truth to the house of prayer. I don't find my worth by how many hours I spend in the prayer room. I find my worth by what he says about me. I belong to him first. That frees me from everything else. Okay, That was very foundational for me. Then, when I was a youth pastor, so we get the foundational is how the Lord feels about us. That's what the house of prayer is about. It's about how do you feel and think about me, Lord, when I'm at my weakest point. If you can't answer that question, you will not go very far in doing things for Jesus. It will all be based upon your performance, friend, which is how a lot of believers live their life. And they live their life bitter and in resentment because they feel like they're the ones doing all the work in the kingdom of God and nobody else is doing anything. And there's no greater place that that happens than in a, in a prayer ministry. There's just something about it that just can really affect us that way. While I was a youth pastor, I have this moment in prayer where the Lord speaks to me about the spirit of Elijah. Some of you know the story of Elijah? What did Elijah do? Anybody know? Elijah. He went up to heaven in a chariot, right? Elijah got in a chariot. Elijah... They called him Baldy, so he called a bunch of bears down on these guys, and they these bears come down the hill and wipe these guys. They called Elijah a bald-headed man. So Elijah says, I don't like that. Don't call me names. I'm getting the bears. I'm sick of the bears on it. He did. The bears come down the hill and maul these guys. Last time you called me bald-headed. And that, that's in your Bible. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's just kind of, why did you put that in there, Lord? I don't know. The Lord just don't like game calling. I don't know what it is. But didn't, you know, Jesus or, was it Jesus or Peter call a bunch of Pharisees like Bruto Pipers? Yeah, how do you like that? So that's kind of, you don't know, never That's right. You know? I don't know. Read your Bible. Talk to Lord about that. You know? I'm not the one, I'm not one to call Jesus or Peter hypocritical, but, you know, it's just like. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Begin to speak to me about the spirit of Elijah, which Malachi 4, the prophet Isaiah says, before Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to release the spirit of Elijah on the earth. And that spirit of Elijah, the main activity of that is to turn the hearts of fathers back towards children. And the children's hearts will be turned to the father, meaning they will walk together and not be divided, the old and the young, valuing one. It also speaks of a, the spirit of Elijah is a, is a forerunner ministry that goes just a step ahead to cut a stream with what God's doing. Doesn't mean they know more, just means the Lord's asked them to go a little ahead and to begin to call people to a lifestyle. It's just not, it's a little bit, it's not business as usual in the church. Like, why don't we, let's, let's fast and pray a little more than we do right now. Like, let's just go after this. Let's, how much of God can we really have? What's available to us? And those forerunners don't know everything, but we're going, hey, maybe there's something a little bit more available to us. Let's try it out. Let's go for it together. You know? And the Lord just began to speak to me about a couple things. But one of the major things that happened to me prophetically, the Holy Spirit, is I had a dream in 2001. 
none of you were even alive then, right? 2001. 2001? I was born in 2001. <laughs> 2001. I mean, most of, I'm still a viewer. So here I am, I'm pastoring a church in 2001. I have another dream. And let me, I know I'm telling you, I, have, I don't dream a lot. I don't have a lot of dreams. I think I'm going to start having more because old men will dream dreams. <laughs> That's beginning to happen. But up until now, I haven't had a lot of dreams. In the book of Acts, it says your old men will dream dreams and your young will have visions. So you guys should be having lots of visions. And I should start having a lot of dreams, okay? So that's how this thing goes, all right? But I haven't. Up until now, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of dreams. So the reason they're down here is because I've had like five major dreams in my life. And this is one of them. 2001. I am, uh, gosh, I, should, I can just tell this by memory now. But. Okay, 2001, I'm, I'm uh, on the freeway, and I'm driving on the freeway, and a, this red little truck, this, it's, a, it's a Ford pickup, little truck. They don't even make them any now. They're called, they don't make them anymore. They were called, it was called a Ford Courier pickup. Ford Courier. You know what a courier is? Courier, What's a courier do? Transports mail. Shoot threes. No, it's not Steph Curry. <laughs> nice try. Courier. Courier, tr say it again. Transports mail. Transports messages or mail. That's right. Okay. Another word for a courier is messenger. I'm on the freeway doing about 55 miles an hour, and this little red Ford courier merges onto the freeway with me. And I look over, and it's this guy in the truck, and his name's Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle started the House of Prayer in Kansas City in 1999. They've been going 20 years around the clock nonstop. Okay? Now, I had heard of him before, but this dream just took me, caught me off guard. And he's on the freeway, and he's driving this Ford, red Ford Courier pickup truck that is in bad condition. It's dented. He can't even see out of the windshield. It's dusty like he's been in the fields. And he's not even looking out the windshield to drive. He is looking out the window to drive, not even through the windshield because it's so destroyed, okay, because of where he's been. And I look over at him, and I'm like, I should follow you. And he looks at me and just looks at me like, who are you? And then just turns and keeps driving. doesn't say a word to me. And I go, i got to follow this guy. So I get behind him. We, get on, we just go down the freeway, and all of a sudden, I'm doing 55, and I start doing 60, <coughs> 65, 70. I'm like, this thing's going, right? We get off the freeway. We pull into the parking lot of a church. The church has this gravel parking lot. He gets out of his truck, doesn't say a word to me, closes the door. I just get out of my car. I don't know what I was driving. Probably, I don't know what I was driving. I get out of my car and start following. It says nothing to me, the whole dream. We go in across the parking lot, into the church. I knew it was a church. He goes all the way to the front of the altar. And I go, okay. And we get to the altar, and while we're going to the altar, the pews become higher and higher and higher. We had to start hurtling and jumping over the pews the closer we got to the altar. We're jumping over. like It's taking effort to get over the pew. We get to the altar, and I think, okay, we're here. And then he goes downstairs at underneath the altar like a spiral staircase all the way down to the foundation or the basement of the church 
and I follow him down there. And what's down there is a group of young people, teenagers and young adults, one in a drum cage, one on a keyboard, bass guitar, guitar, singers, and Mike Biggle steps up to the mic to lead prayer, and he goes, let's go, dream ends. He never says a word to me. But I wake up, 2001, whenever I had that dream, pastoring a church, thinking, I am not gonna be pastoring very much longer. I'm gonna be a part of a house of prayer somewhere, or I didn't even think I would start one. But I was doing a lot of prayer in our local church. We were praying a lot in our local church. Amy Lincoln was a part of it. She used to come to our church in Martinez. We did a lot and a lot of prayer. Fasting prayer, teaching the Song of Solomon, we probably had 70 people in our church, and I preached it down to about 25. That's not good church growth. That's bad. I preached it right on down, teaching God, people what God felt and thinks about them and feels about them. And we prayed and we fasted. And every once in a while, we'd have Friends Day, where we'd have jump houses, and people would bring their friends. And they, then they'd get around us and go, what do you guys do around here? i go, well, we pray, we fast, and we talk about how much Jesus feels and thinks about us. I didn't even think about the end times then very much, other than the Lord was stirring my heart about it. And he says, it's, and then the Lord just, I knew that I wouldn't be pastoring for very long. 2001, and then it wasn't until 2006 that we actually started the House of Prayer. So there were five years from the dream until the time it actually started. But along that journey, the Lord, I was, I, I was just bound to start a House of Prayer. So in 2005, I was ready to stop pastoring, and I was going to go to the house of prayer. Because I was like, I just have to be in house of prayer. This, this, this is what the Lord's doing. He's confirmed it. <clears throat> I want to be with a group of people that are praying and fasting, going deep in Bible verses. Because Jesus is coming back to the earth. The body of Christ is not ready for his return. The earth is not ready for his return. And he's raising up people that will go and announce his second coming. You guys, literally, people are not ready for the return of Jesus. They're ready for Jesus to come back, but they're not ready for what the Bible says is going to happen the decades before his return. Are we talking about that during this intensive? We're talking about it right now. <laughs> are we going to talk about it at end times? We don't have a specific class, but... Well, It'll be in it. A lot of people in the body of Christ, they get afraid of the end times because they don't have a right understanding of, of Bible verses that are being laid out about it because they don't know how God feels and thinks about them. Wasn't it a couple, six months ago, I, Yos, I challenged you guys to read the book of Revelation through once a week or something? Once a month. Once a month, read the book of Revelation. <laughs> People don't know what to do with those Bible verses because they don't understand the leadership of Jesus. But one of the one of the urgent messages of why the house of prayer exists is because Jesus is coming back. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back to the earth for the church. He's going to rapture us, but he's not going to rapture us until a few things happen that are laid out in your Bibles that you cannot get away from. You cannot explain. Now, we have limited understanding, but we have way more Bible verses on the end times than what most people want to look at. 
And most people shy away from the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, Matthew 24, because they don't understand the emotions and the feelings that God has toward them. Most people think they're dealing with an angry God in the book of Revelation when they just read all the stuff that's happening. The book of Revelation is about the leadership of Jesus for the church. It's about his leadership. It's not about bad things happening to us. The bad things that are happening in the earth are happening against the, the Antichrist regime. Okay? We're talking about it right now. So, okay? There is going to be an Antichrist on the earth, the most evil person ever in history. He is not showing up yet. Matthew 24 lays it out for us. Something happened in Matthew 24 called 70 AD that was real bad for Israel. But it's nothing compared to what's coming for Israel. Zechariah chapter 12 through 14 tells us that before the Lord returns, about half the city of Jerusalem is going to be locked up in prison camps. And Jesus is going to return, Isaiah 63, Zechariah 14, and Jesus himself is going to set those captives free. Jesus himself is going to be on the earth and he's going to go to these prison doors whatever he does open open them up with his hand and prisoners are going to come out of prison camps in Jerusalem there's going to be a massive persecution of Jewish people in the earth and at the same time Gentile believers which is you and I we will be persecuted with them but God will He'll provide protection for us and see us through because he loves and cares about us. And here's the other bonus. We just say it, just if somebody dies during that time, you're in the bonus. You're in the bonus. Like somehow we all want to not, we want to avoid things, you know, and, and, and so people don't want to talk about this very often. Instead of us seeing it as the great promise of Jesus over the church, it's going to be so glorious and like right now, most people look at the church and they go, meh. <laughs> a lot of unbelievers, they go, what do you, what do you got? Meh. I'm not interested. It's because we're not walking in the fullness that God has for us. There's a glory and a power that's going to rest upon the body of Christ that comes through obedience and wholehearted love that will be attractive. That's what will make us, Matthew chapter 5, salt and light. Salt and light in the midst of the world. People go, what is it about you? What, why, why, why are you so different? And they'll look at us and they'll go, and it won't be because of our great ministry programs. It'll be because we do Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who long, who mourn for Jesus. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness sake, then you'll be salt and light. You guys, we don't even really come into our fullness until we're under persecution. Because when we're in persecution is where the real stuff comes to the surface. Like, I look at my life now, and I'm like, I'm not ready for this yet, Lord. He goes, I'll get you ready. If you just stay with me in this thing, I'm going to work humility in you, Jim. I'm going to work meekness into you. Because this is my way. What makes us think we're going to do it any way different than the way Jesus did it? He came and he bore the cross. That's so weak. 
That's so weak to go, yep, I'm giving my life. And yet, that's what he asked us to do through certain things. The end times is about embracing the cross of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus, and our lives being poured out in humility. You know what most of the church is doing right now on social media? Arguing with each other, trying to prove each other right or wrong about what's happening in the nation. You guys, America is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God supersedes every other nation. He's wanting the church to get in alignment with the kingdom. He's delivering us from our political bentness and our ideas. And he wants us in alignment with him. I'm even looking at arguments from people that I respect sometimes on social media about all this stuff. I'm like, you guys are, this is goofiness. Stop it. Don't say, please don't say anything. No more commentary on social media about anything. Can we just pray and get humility and work it out together instead of spewing our ideas across the social media lines that really mean nothing anyway? It doesn't mean anything. Not until we see substance. And the world, people that are truly lost want to see substance in a person that says, I follow Jesus. They want to see substance. They want to see the goods. They want to see the the working of Christ in you, the humility, the meekness, which takes time. That doesn't come by getting to a prayer line, even though we're going to pray for you today. Getting in a prayer line just begins to activate that in our lives. Well, gosh, way off point here. Where did I leave off at here? Jumping right, over, diverted. Jumping over the pews. Yeah, we jumped over pews. That's the foundation. I think, I think, yeah. Where you said you had some dreams. Yeah, I had some dreams. Well, let me just, let me try to get it more practical, because this is a whole other session right here that I'd like to even do Q&A on. There's a five-year gap. Yeah, five-year gap. And then I met then I met Amy and Dan and David Kim through Brent Locker, pastor of Blazing Fire. And I was getting ready, Zach and the rest of our family, Spencer and Leslie and I, was, we were going to move to the city of Atlanta. That's where Zach did his internship that he talked about. We were going to go to Atlanta and be a part of the house of prayer there that was going 24 hours a day. We were going to go there and, and just become prayer missionaries in Atlanta. And at the same time, I started talking to Pastor Brent. He says, you know, we really want to see a house of prayer started here in, in the Tri-Valley. I said, well, I'm going to Atlanta. I was already starting to raise finances to be a missionary in Atlanta. I was checking out schools for the boys. I was, I was doing everything. I had moving trucks lined up. I had it all figured out. I'm like, I'm going to Atlanta. I'm just going to go, and here's what I told you I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the house of prayer, and I'm going to wear a hoodie, and I'm not going to shave, and I'm going to sit in the prayer room. I might, I might not even brush my teeth for six months. I'm just going to sit in the prayer room and read the Bible and cry and learn about who Jesus is. Just like this. I'll hood it up and just sit there. I'm like, I don't, I don't pastor. I don't do any of that. I just want to grow a beard, not brush my teeth, and read Bible verses and cry. And so Leslie and I went out to Atlanta and 
And when we got there, we had we met two people from the House of Prayer. We're sitting in the Starbucks, and this one girl, these two people come up, and the guy that we were with was the leader there, Billy. He goes, hey, I want you to meet Jim and Leslie. They're going to move to Atlanta. And the one lady goes, yes, you need to meet with my husband and I after. We have somebody that wants to help you buy a house. And immediately we're like, you're going to help us buy a house? We just landed. This is God. <laughs> we're, we're in Starbucks looking at each other going, Yes, we're going to go look for homes tomorrow. We're like, this has got Jesus all over. You know, this is favor and all that stuff, right? <laughs> Woo-hoo! You know? We're going to help you buy a house, right? And then this other girl goes, she comes up, she goes, no, don't leave California. We need you there praying. She was all intense. She was like crazy, this crazy lady. She's all intense. Don't leave California. And we're like, no, we really want a house. <laughs> So we go looking for homes, and, and we're meeting these people, and we're in the house of prayer, and the whole time, I'm just not settled. And in the morning, I wake up Sunday morning in Atlanta. I've already had meetings with Dan and Amy, with Pastor Brent, with David, with Todd Lau. We're talking about, but I told them, I said, no, I'm probably moving to Atlanta, so thanks for the meeting. And... Uh, I wake up Sunday morning, and the Lord reminded me of the story of Abraham. Everybody know the story of when Abraham took his son Isaac up the hill to sacrifice him? Yes. Okay? And he takes him up. What happens when he takes Isaac up the hill? The angel of God, Isaac, comes on him. No, this was just a test to see if you are actually loyal to me. Ooh, gosh, you said it better than I could. Okay? This is just a test to see if you are really loyal to me. The way I interpret that story, another way, of interp- I love your interpretation, Mine is Abraham was dying to a vision. Abraham had a vision because God said, you will be the father of many nations. And he says, hey, let's go up and sacrifice Isaac. And yet Abraham's like, I can't go kill. This is my only son. I'm going to be the father. Abraham didn't understand how God was going to fulfill the vision, right? Same way, he takes Isaac up. The Lord wakes me up in the morning and goes, I want you to think about Abraham and taking Isaac. I want you to go kill Isaac. You know what my Isaac was? moving to Atlanta. But the vision got fulfilled by me staying here. Well, so I'm going to fulfill the vision. Now, I didn't have to kill. Abraham didn't kill Isaac because the Lord provided. And yet the Lord provided a way for me to carry out what he put in my heart, and that was to stay here 14 years ago. And as soon as I made that decision, I was happy in my heart. When we started the house of prayer, we announced it in March. At Blazing Fire of 2006. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the evening. 200 people, there's 300 people, and 200 people answered an altar call to do a house of prayer, and they didn't even know what they were doing. I didn't even know what I was saying. Brent says, I think you need to preach this message. And it was March 14th, 2006. I got up and preached. 300 people were there. 200 answered the altar call. 200 to start a house of prayer. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. It was at Harvest Valley. In fact, when they were meeting Harvest Valley. Claire, you know where you guys are at, you know? Yeah. On a Saturday night, I'm like, I'm just up there going, blah, 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 just saying all this stuff. Okay, worship team come up. Let's have an altar call. Boom. 200 people come up and the place is nuts. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> and then in the summer... Or in, in the in the spring of that year, we had a house of prayer intensive where about 200 people packed themselves into Parkway Fellowship. 
200 people. 200 people at Parkway. Sitting on the, you know, sitting on the floor, crammed up against the sides, sit, uh, standing in the, in the foyer, you know, crazy. And we did a whole weekend like that and said, we're going to start the house of prayer. We're going to start doing Friday night services in two months from now or ne whatever. Next week, we're going to train people all summer. And we made it all the way through the summer and we started the house of prayer September 18th, 2006 on a Monday morning at 6 a.m. And we closed the door at 2, and we had 40 hours of prayer a week. We started with 40 hours of prayer. Six months later, we added a 4 a.m. set, and we had 12 hour, or 10 hours a day, because Dan Knight started doing 4 a.m.s. And then we added the Night Watch in, I think, a year later, with Pastor David and Amy Ligon. You guys did the Night Watch from 12 to 6. And then we added the evening hours in. Claire was a part of that internship that we did, and we started the evening hours. And we went 24 hours a day, five days a week, for three years after that. And then that culminated. So Amy, I want you to pick up where we left off there. And kind of, I don't know how you're gonna, God help you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, it's so scattered. It's such a scattered mess. Like, it's hard to go from having a dream into the end times and Jesus coming back and getting that rest. You just gotta, somehow it's just not happening. You know what we're going to do is, if we have time, we might do a Q&A for four hours after this. Let's <laughs> see what time it is. So Amy, try to connect the dots. I don't, yeah, whatever you okay. say would be great. I, you know. I won't take too long. Um, I love our history because it's like the it's like a lot of times what God does in our lives is he he will put his dream into you and it starts to birth this longing a longing longing for this dream to be fulfilled and you don't really know exactly what it is or how it will be fulfilled. You just know that you were created by God for this thing. Mm -hmm. And so for many years and, and the way God seems to work it a lot of times is he will he'll put this seed, whatever it is inside of you, this destiny seed and it starts to grow. And then at some point, somebody will call it out or you'll have a dream or something will happen and you're like, this is what I'm called to do. And you start to get like a glimpse, like I'm made to pray, you know? You start to get a glimpse of what that is and yet it doesn't really happen yet. And he kind of sends you into waiting mode. I'm just telling you how it a lot of times happens. And it was this way for me. And sometimes you end up in waiting mode for many years. You're, you're called. You know you're called. But you can't make that calling happen. Even though you might try. You might think, well, maybe I, you know, and a lot of people in the Bible tried to make their call happen. You know, Moses had a call and he killed an Egyptian trying to make his calling happen. Mm -hmm. 
That was not the Lord. You know, and then he had to die to himself and go wait in the desert 40 years before God spoke to him in a burning bush. So at some point in your life, you've got a calling. But then sometime later, there's a commissioning where the Lord says, now, now is the time. So that's kind of how it went for me. And I think that's kind of how it goes for a lot of people is, you know, the Lord puts a seed. He put a seed in me. And I didn't even know I was built for prayer for a long time. I really didn't. I just thought, I want to be a wife and a mom, you know? That's what I grew up with. I want to get married, have kids, be a stay-at-home mom, which, thank God, I love that. That's also a call. But I didn't know that he had also put in me this seed of, of prayer, and I didn't really see that come about till we moved into this region, really, and I I had a, uh, we were going to Valley Community Church in Pleasanton, and one day there was something in the bulletin that caught my eye, and it was really small letters at the bottom that said, intercessory prayer for the valley, I don't know, I don't know if it said meet here or call this number, I mean it was like a small script, you know, like you, I don't know that anybody would even notice this, but it caught my eye, and back in the day, I wasn't like really what you think of as a prayer person, I was just a mom, <laughs> but for some reason, that little line caught my eye, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to go to that prayer meeting, I wasn't going to prayer meetings at the time, but I showed up at this 6 a.m. August prayer meeting, and it was at this random church I would never heard of, and there was 40 people there at 6 a.m. in our region. Wow. And I could not tell who was leading this meeting. There was no leader. <laughs> there was just people in the room, 40 people in the room, hungry, hungry, longing for God. And it was like popcorn prayer. We didn't have harp and bowl. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just in a room hungry for God. And people just started to pray out, you know? And it was powerful. It went, I don't know, an hour, maybe two hours. I can't remember. But I came away going, that was really different than anything I had ever been to. What was that? So I went the next week to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting, which was at a different church in the region. I can't tell you what churches. I don't remember one of the churches, um, which happened to be Brent Locker's Presbyterian Church. He was a associate pastor at a Presbyterian church in Pleasanton at the time. And one of the 6 a.m. prayer meetings was at that Presbyterian church. And that's when I realized that Brent was behind this mm -hmm. 6 a.m. prayer meetings. There was four of them in the month of August. Wow. I don't even remember what year this was. But um, I went to all four of them. And one of them, like I said, was at, at the Presbyterian Church. And at that particular one, there was a smaller number of people. But that's when I had something happen to me in my spirit where I began to understand somehow I was called to prayer. I can't explain what happened. Just something awakened in me. And I did not know what to do with it. 
but it's just there it was and I just so I went to these four prayer meetings and I learned Brent Locker's name I learned he was really behind these prayer meetings but after these four prayer meetings that was it they stopped doing them and I'm like what why are you stopping you know <laughs> but that's what he he did four prayer meetings and then that's it and so I was I was hungry I was left hungry I was left longing wondering and then um, sometime later went into a fast and I had never really fasted before but I was hungry for God and I felt like he was staying fast and so the longest I could possibly think about going without food was a week and I thought I'm going to fast for a week <laughs> and so I didn't know why really but I went into a week long fast just I might have drank juice. I mean, I can't believe I did water. I think I must have drank some juice because I was new to fasting. I had only fasted one other time before that. So, but I fasted for a week. I fasted food, no food. And um, at the end of a week, I was ready to break this fast because I was like, okay, I'm done with 